If you're between the ages of four to eight, you're excused to kids' club. <laughs> we are in the midst of a five-week series that we've entitled The Cornerstone. Considering that Jesus Christ is the only solid foundation for our life, that he's the only thing that we can build our life upon, the only foundation that will hold. Now we've walked into this series incredibly intentionally, knowing that there's major political election coming, knowing that there are major tensions in the world that are growing, whether you want to consider North Korea, uh, whether any number of political situations involving Syria, refugees, etc., And that's not even taking into consideration the personal challenges and difficulties that many of us are walking through. So we want to take a season to be encouraged, to trust Jesus, to know that our identity is complete in Jesus, to know that our foundation is secure in Jesus, and we need to be reminded of God's sovereignty and his providence, and we need to be sure that Jesus is our foundation, that he is our cornerstone. Now, as we step into this cornerstone, you need to know that this is not my idea. This is God's idea. It's God's intent. It starts in the Old Testament with a passage that's quoted many times in the New Testament. And I told you we'd start here every week, so here it comes again. Psalm 118, 22 and 23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. We looked at that passage two weeks ago. And then Peter, preaching to the Pharisees in Acts 4, builds upon this, clarifies it for us. In Acts 4, verse 11, Peter says this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What Peter articulates for us is that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And he puts that perspective before you, knowing full well that the world, just like the Pharisees, will deny it. They will reject it. They will reject its premise. They will reject its promises. And yet Jesus is our cornerstone, the only thing we can build our life upon. Because as Peter puts it, it's in Jesus alone that we can find salvation. Nothing else will work. Nothing else will hold together. It is Jesus He is our cornerstone. He is our foundation. And so last week we moved on from that to say not only is he our foundation, but he's also our hope. Our only hope. The only hope that has the potential to fulfill. The only hope that can complete. And Peter again writes in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what Peter writes here is that God is worthy to be praised because 
in his mercy, consider that again, in his mercy, which is to say not our good works, not our good looks, or anything else you might consider it, that you might try to have as a foundation or hope, not in any of those things, rather in his mercy, he has caused us to be born again, not just a hope, but a living hope. And John 3.15, John clarifies this meaning of born again, lest any of us be confused by it. It is a bit of a Christianese term. Really what it means, according to John 3.15, is that we would put our trust in Jesus Christ. And that's a whole lot more than just believing in Him. For it's possible to factually believe He exists, but never trust Him. We want to believe in Jesus and believe in Him in such a way that we would believe that what He accomplished for us at the cross is completely sufficient, and therefore, there is nothing I can do, nothing I can add. What Christ did was enough for me. And that this salvation that we are brought to in Christ is a sustainable, powerful hope that is beyond anything else we could look to. In the book of Ephesians, Paul writes that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive in you who believe in Jesus. That's this resurrection hope given to you through Christ, bringing you to faith and granting you a living hope. Paul writes in the book of Romans chapter 8, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? For if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What Paul argues here is if you can see it, it is a frivolous hope. It is a worthless hope. It is an untrustworthy hope. So that our hope can't be in people or things or jobs. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Over the last several weeks, I've been doing a variety of building projects in my garage. One of my hopes in that process became, if I got a miter saw, my life will be better. I kid you not, I believed it. Yesterday, I spent some time with my son, and we went to the store. We looked at a variety of miter saws, purchased one, convinced my life would be greater upon its acquisition. We took it out of the box, we put it on the stand, and we looked at it, and boy, she's pretty. And I have no hope because of it. Immediately, I wanted something else. We've acquired the miter saw. Now we need to get the next thing. See, this is the hope of stuff. It is a never-fulfilling hope. It is a foundationless hope. It is an untrustworthy hope. Not the hope we could put in Christ. For hope is what we cannot see, according to Paul in Romans. Our hope is Jesus Christ who is the fulfillment of all things, the completion of all things, and He is our hope. So as believers in Jesus Christ, our lives are built upon Him. He is our foundation. Our lives look to Him. He is our hope. And to build on it this week, He is our protection. 
See, the Bible will use a variety of words to say this, calling him our refuge, calling him our shield, calling him our fortress. But in all of these things, the idea is that we are completely secure in him. And in him alone, and in that way we will, can never find our security in anything else, for it will not hold Jesus alone. Now as we continue on in this morning, i got to warn you, your Bible-moving muscles have got to be in shape. Because we're going to cover a lot of ground in your Bible this morning. I put page numbers up here to make it easy on you. So if you want to take a red pew Bible in front of you and follow by page number to keep you, keep you moving in the right direction, go for it. Because what we want to establish this morning is not Ben's thoughts and Ben's ideas, but God's word as truth. So we're going to bounce back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament, revealing to you, showing you what God says about your security. And so start... We want to dig into the book of Psalms in Psalm 91, one of my favorites. Psalm 91, verse 1 says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, and what this psalmist, who by the way we don't know who he is, he's an anonymous psalmist, some of the psalms are this way, what this anonymous psalmist is doing for us here is painting a picture It's very common in the Hebrew Bible that they would paint these beautiful word pictures for us. He's got several of them coming in this psalm. But here he paints a picture of somebody who's finding their home within the shelter of God. The very picture of someone whose foundation is Jesus Christ. Whose hope is Jesus Christ. Christ, the one who is walking in a relationship with the one true creator God, the Almighty. Notice the psalmist here doesn't hold back his terminology when referring to God. This is the most high God, the most powerful, sovereign ruler of the universe, God. And just for a moment, I need you to think about that. Because this is the God to whom we have access to through Jesus Christ. That because of the completed work of Christ at the cross, we are allowed into the throne room of the Almighty God, not bashfully, but boldly. That we could approach Him boldly because of Jesus, this sovereign, ruling God. And we can know Him and be known by Him. In the book of Ephesians in the third chapter, it talks about Christ dwelling in our hearts. And this psalm talks about us dwelling in Him. For He is our foundation, our hope, and our life. For He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, the text continues, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, If you make your house in the Lord, He is your protection. He is your security. And again, let's be mindful of these words from the psalmist. The Most High. The Sovereign Ruler of the world. 
the Almighty, the one with all the power in the world. This is your protection. Do you need anything else? I mean, we should close the book, believe that, and walk out, shouldn't we? But there's a whole lot more for us. So we'll stick around. Verse 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He writes, I say to Yahweh, or Jehovah if you prefer, either way you get the personal name of God given by God, and he claims it. I will say to my God, you are my refuge. You are my fortress, the one I will trust in. And here the psalmist claims that which was given to him, that God is his protection, God is his security, God is his hope. And to make his case, he's going to give us now several more word pictures to assert that. Starting in verse 3. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. For God is our protection. For him to deliver you from the fowler paints a picture for you again. And in this case, you're a bird. Why? Because he's protecting you from the one who hunts birds. He, he paints this picture for you that even Jesus picks up in the book of Matthew that if God cares about the sparrow, and he does... How much more will he care for you if God protects you from the fowler, one who tries to snare birds, and if you were a bird, he would protect you in that way. How much more would he then care about you? This psalmist gives us a metaphor of God protecting you from the one who is hunting you. And make no mistake about it, what First Peter would put before you is that Satan is roaming around looking for someone to devour. You're being hunted. And yet Paul writes this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. Wait for it as we look at his verbiage writing to Timothy. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. These are instructions in godliness. But kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, we'll come back to that, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. This is talking then about the ones you're correcting, coming to know the Lord. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. So these people come to know the Lord, that they may come to their senses and look at his word and escape from the snare of the devil. See, this is the, one of the places in Scripture where it gets very clear for you that Satan lays traps for you, and one of the initial traps he would lay for you is that you would never know Jesus in any kind of a personal way. See, there's a snare out there that tells you if you are good enough, you can inherit eternity, is there not? If you are smart enough, if you achieve enough, if you do enough of the right things, these are all traps. And you could take it a step further. We could claim, I know Jesus. I know Jesus like I know Brett Favre. I can give you some stats. I could give you some facts. I could tell you some things about him. 
But do I really know Brett Favre? Not at all. And yet our country is full of people who claim, I know God. I am a Christian and yet do not know the saving God of the Bible. Why? Because it's a snare of the evil one. And God says, I will protect you from that. That you'd be captured to do His will. The psalmist continues in verse 4. And He will cover you with His pinions. And under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. And the psalmist continues with a bird metaphor. And for all you non-ornithologists out there, I looked up that word this week so I could sound smart, one who studies birds, opinions are the outer feathers of a bird's wing that allow him to fly. God says, I will shade you with them. Under my wing, if we are birds, God paints a picture that he is a bird, that he would protect us as birds. That he would stretch out his wings, that we would find protection within him. That his faithfulness would be a shield, that which covers your body. And a buckler is like a little mini shield that you would strap to your wrist that would protect your arms. The picture being here, that he would be your complete protection. Literally protecting you, serving as your refuge in your shield verse 5 and you will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the destruction that wastes at noonday why why would we not fear the terror why would we not fear the arrows why would we not fear the disease according to the text because we trust him because he is our shield and our fortress and the psalmist continues verse 7 a thousand may fall at your side ten thousand at your right hand but it will not come near you you will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the lord your dwelling place the most high who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall befall you. No plague come near your tent. Because the Lord is our protection. He is our dwelling place. Now if any of you are wired at all like me, we read this and like, truth, 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 this is awesome. And totally untrue. Right? I mean, don't we kind of get that? Where was God when this happened to me? Where was God when this happened to my neighbor? Where was God when this happened to my child? Where was God? Where is he protecting us? See, if you read into this psalm, you might get the idea that you'll never get sick. Or that you you may never be robbed, stabbed, shot, raped, killed, you name it. That no one will be able to sin against you. Is that true? No. Let me give you some illustrations from my own life. When Pam and I moved to Memphis, our house got broken into five times the first year we lived there. Was God our protection? 
When we went through a major cancer scare when Pam was pregnant with our third child, was God our protection? When my mom passed away as a freshman in college, causing me more pain than I could have even ever imagined, was he my protection? And what I want to say to you this morning is yes, yes, and yes. From a New Testament perspective, Paul will enlighten us in the book of Romans, the 8th chapter. This is what Paul writes. For who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? He puts this before you. What could separate you from God's ability to love you? What could separate you from God's ability to be a solid foundation, a solid hope, and a solid protector in your life? And he comes to these questions. Shall tribulation, shall challenges and trials, or distress, shall personal issues, stress jump into your life, or even persecution... Should your neighbors start to abuse you for your faith or famine? You don't have enough to survive on, to live on, or nakedness. You can't even take care of yourself or danger. That things would be happening to you that would threaten your security or the sword. You could even be killed. Paul writes, Shall any of these things separate you from the love of Christ? Verse 36, he writes, As it is written, For your sake, that is a superiorly important term, For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. So what Paul starts to paint a picture for you that should you endure any of those things, tribulations, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, swords, that you will conquer them. Why? Because sin may win the battle, but it will never win the war. For it is not about your sake, it is about His sake. Paul writes, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. By the way, he left out nothing. He's got everything covered there, doesn't he? nor not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul writes in Romans that He is our protection. That though any evil could happen to us, we are more than conquerors through Him. That nothing could separate us from Him. Nothing could separate us from the love of God. We are secure in Him, and nothing can change that. Verse 11. For He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. 
Calvin, by the way, uses this to articulate some form of guardian angels that exist. Now, we can argue from other passages that the idea that each of us have our own guardian angel does not exist. But you can't get around the fact that God would at times choose to impart His holy will on your behalf in your protection. You know, working in ministry for a number of years, it's hilarious when you work at camps and you start thinking through we had like 150 buses come back and forth from Colorado, all these places, and yet in 10 years, none of them have ever wrecked. Like, that's just strange. And you see God's holy will working for our protection. Does it work all the time? No. It does. And he clearly uses it to protect us in all of his ways. Verse 12. And on their hands they will bear you up Lest you strike your foot against a stone, you will tread on the lion and the adder, which is a snake. The young lion and the serpent will trample underfoot. And this is the very picture of believing but not trusting, isn't it? Because here's your example. Do you know in the New Testament who quotes Psalm 91, 11, and 12? Someone who has more factual knowledge about Jesus than any of us but has never taken the step to believe in him. Satan. Satan is the one who comes out armed in Psalm 91, 11, and 12, and he quotes it to Jesus in Matthew 4. You might remember the scene. Jesus has just fasted for 40 days, and Satan shows up, takes him physically to the highest part of the temple, in the highest part of the city, sets him up in this high part and says, hey, why don't you throw yourself off and trust God? Let's just see about your belief, your trust in God. Just chuck yourself off and see what happens. Now we should stop for just a second and say that's idiotic, right? This is a perfect example of not trusting God. And that's why Jesus responds to Satan, quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. In Matthew 4.7, Jesus says this, Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. For God's protection is for your edification, not for your showmanship. We don't get to walk out to the street and say, hey, Jesus will protect me. Let's cross a highway. We don't pick up snakes. There are church traditions that do. And if you read about them online, you find those people die. Because they got bit by snakes. We don't challenge his protection we place our faith in jesus we allow him to be our refuge him to be our shield him to be our protection and yet we realize that satan will always seek to abuse us even with his misinterpretations of scripture so we look to verse 13 to note that it is quoted by jesus to the disciples before sending them out in luke 10 let me give that to you Luke 10, 17 through 20. And the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven 
And what Jesus says in quoting this to the disciples is to prepare them in boldness to go out and to testify on his behalf. And note his last phrase. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Why is that rejoicing? Because they're going to get abused in the process. You find that through the rest of the text. See, when you read Psalm 91, you could get this idea that we are promised a physical protection. And to be fair with you, in the New Old Testament, they were promised a physical protection. But we really can't claim that in the New Testament. We look to it, but we find that in the New Testament, we're given something far more superior than a physical security. What we're offered in Jesus Christ is a spiritual security, something that will point us to having a secure foundation, a secure hope, and a secure identity that we could endure all things for his sake. So what Paul points out to us in Philippians 4, 12 and 13, I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every situation, every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Friends, please, as a side note, don't try to pick up heavy things and claim this. What Paul is writing is that Jesus Christ being his secret, Jesus Christ is the one that can carry him through the highs and the lows, the plenty and the hungry, the abundance and the need, that it's finding your identity, your foundation, and your hope in Jesus that carries you through all hardship, all difficulty, and every season of exaltation. And that's what the New Testament would teach to us. That Jesus would send us out into the world purposefully. And that He would even allow evil to happen. That we might endure all things. That His sufficiency might be on display to all people. That as we as a church walk through and endure difficult things, people might look at us and say, how did you do that? And our answer would be, Jesus carried me through. I can't explain it. My only hope and explanation is Jesus. Let me put that before you again. Jesus will send you into the world and will allow evil, will allow sin, will allow disease, will allow all sorts of things to happen to you so that His sufficiency, His ability to carry you through it will be on display to the world. Which is to say you will get sick. You will have trials and you will have tribulations and we will trust Him with all of it. See, this is one of the very reasons why He puts us in community. So that in that moment of I can't do it anymore, you've got six people who can throw an arm around you and say, let us help you. Let's carry you through this. 
Let me show you how God carried me, how he walked me through it. And church, let me just put this before you. If you're struggling with anything now and you feel hopeless in it, I promise you we got somebody in the building who's walked through it. It doesn't matter what it is. Whether it's alcohol, drugs, you name it. There are people in this room who've walked through it and God has been enough for them. And we want to encourage each other with our testimony. Because he is our protection. And he will keep us and hold us and never lose us. This is his testimony in John 10, 28 and 30. I give them eternal life that they would never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand for I and the Father are one. Friends, Jesus Christ is our cornerstone He is our foundation, He is our hope, and He is our protection. He can carry us through any and all things, for He is our refuge, our shield, our fortress, our strong support, and we can never, ever be snatched from His hand by anything. And as we come to the last three verses of this psalm, if you're an underliner, It's a great time to underline. Because God pledges himself to you. This is what it says. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. And I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What God says in these last three verses is eight expressions. Because you've held on to me. Because you've believed in me. Because you've called me your foundation. Because you've called me your hope. I will deliver you. I will protect you. I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you. I will honor you. I will satisfy you. And I will show you my salvation. Jesus in Matthew 28 says, Lo, to the very end of the age, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always. So as we close... I want us to read verses 14 through 16 out loud. But this time I want us to claim it as our protection. See, he gave it to us in 14 through 16 as his pledge. So I want us to step into it claiming it. So I changed the terminology a little bit. There go, I named it the Ben version. It is a totally heretical version. So don't trust it. But yet this is our place to claim his promises as our own. Read it with me. Because I hold fast to him in love, he will deliver me. He will protect me. 
because I know his name. When I call to him, he will answer me. He will be with me in trouble. He will rescue me and honor me. With long life, he will satisfy me and show me his salvation. Friends, Psalm 91 was written and given as a halal psalm. That it is a psalm of high praise. That we would worship Him for His ability to protect us, for His ability to carry us, for His ability to be our strength, our refuge. Because the text takes for granted that we're all going to endure hard things, walk through hard things, and we will cling to Him. So as we continue on, remember that Jesus Christ is the only foundation that will hold. That Jesus Christ is the only hope that will satisfy. And Jesus is the only protection that you will ever need because He is sufficient. Let me pray for us. Oh great Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. That in it we find the words of life and hope and truth. In it you've declared to us who your son is. That he is sufficient. That he is more than enough for my need. On days when I have plenty and on days when I have nothing. Father, in your sovereign providence, I know there are people in this room in any and every circumstance and situation. Father, we have people who are, who are living in abundance And we have people who are living in famine. And Father, I pray in your divine sovereignty that you would show them and remind them of who you are and your ability in your own and on your own to be their protection, their strength, and their hope. That those who have plenty wouldn't find their strength and their hope in it. And that those who have or are lacking wouldn't look to those things to be their sufficiency. But in all things, and in all ways, we would look to your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our identity, our foundation, our cornerstone, our hope, and to know that in Him we are secure. Thank you for that strong biblical truth. We lean into it and claim it. Father, we love you, and we give thanks for the sufficient work of your Son at the cross. It's in His name we pray. Amen.